Welcome to and Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And Lilo Dallas Multipass, it's the fifth element. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Jo, how are you doing today? I'm okay, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Our film today is a listener request from Robin. Thank you for writing in, Robin. Thanks, Robin. Oh, sure. Thank you. If you, listener, have a movie that you want us to cover, email us at endalmoststarring at gmail.com to request it. And heads up, a lot of you are hitting me up on Instagram, which is great. However, I'm not the one who does the research (laughs) to figure out, is this a good episode? So, like, if you want to make sure that it gets to the person who actually does the research, Send the request to the Gmail and not to the Instagram where I'm like, I'll tell him. And sometimes I remember. This is, this is an official operation we got going on here. So if you don't, if you don't want to get lost in the the, the internet tubes, then you gotta send it. You gotta send it to the Gmail people. Look, sometimes uh, on Instagram, I'm I'm just looking at drag queens, so like sure. I may not remember. They're <laughs> understandable. Who's probably looking at fewer drag queens? Not no drag queens, but oh no, we watch drag multiple queens. drag shows sure a week. Do. Drag Race UK, Drag Race UK is uh, rocking and rolling in season two. Uh, and listener, if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a quick five star rating and review on iTunes. It boosts our algorithm and helps more people to find us, which allows us to continue making these episodes. Please and thank you. Blessings. <laughs> Blessings, tidings, enjoy. <laughs> the Fifth Element is a sci-fi action adventure film that came out on May 9th, 1997, and was directed by Luc Besson and written by Luc Besson and Robert Mark Kamen. Amy Jo, what's your experience with The Fifth Element? Had you seen it before? Jeff, I hadn't, but I'll tell you, I didn't have <gasps> no experience. I know, actually, now that I've seen it, I see why you were stunned <laughs> to learn I had never seen well, this. Well, between you and your brother. Yep. I, I'm surprised that this didn't hit. Now, yeah. let me tell you, though, I don't have no experience with The Fifth Element. I have deep experience in one extremely narrow aspect of this film, and that is that the opera yeah, diva, both the like initial <laughs> aria, but then in particular the like um, digitally modified like uh, with the beat. Audio, yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, we would listen to that all the time in the car on the way to school. My dad was like, "This is <laughs> your dad, amazing, oh, hilarious," and would play it. And like, well, so yeah, uh, how, I, how was he playing it? Did you have the Fifth Element soundtrack? Yeah. Or the, oh, so you bought the soundtrack to this film that my father did. Did he see the film? Uh, yeah, I'm sure he did. They went, so they see everything. But it's just surprising to me. This feels like a film that's like you bring the kids to. I don't know. Maybe they weren't sure if it was. And then, like, we were busy. No. I, if this was 97. Because it's PG-13, but it's, but it's a French PG-13. Exactly. So there's a little technical Exactly. And if this was 97, yeah. mm-hmm. I would have been in, like, eighth grade and Aaron would have been in sixth. So this is, like, borderline, are you taking your kids to see this action film? You know, we probably just weren't inter- yeah. interested either. Well, I saw this film in theaters uh, as a 10-year-old. So my dad thought this was a perfect film to take a 10-year-old boy and in too. many ways it is sure sure uh so yes i have seen this film so many times but i hadn't seen it in so long i was partially scared to revisit it uh i was worried was worried about those nostalgia goggles Ooh, we always it was are. like 
oh, this is like a hugely problematic film. Uh, and I don't think the film is hugely problematic. It certainly does have, you know, I, I do think it's so fun. I can see, you can just see the like, the he's just like, yes, so it's like in um, Snow White, the, the prince comes and kisses Snow White and she wakes up. But in this one, he, he kisses her when she is unconscious and it would normally be uh, rapey. But then, oh, she has a gun to his head. Look how much power well, she I has. I did appreciate that it like in a very 90s way was like, let's have a non-conversation about consent. You know, yeah, it's I, like, yeah, I shouldn't have kissed her. It's like, no, dude, you probably shouldn't have. He could he could have at least gotten a kick in the balls. Yeah, she had a gun to the head and a gun pointed at him for a while. But it was still just like, especially when he's like, you're 40 years old. This isn't like your, he, your protagonist isn't like a 20 year old, like idiot. He's 40. Yeah, it was. I was like, now, Bruce, now, Bruce. <laughs> Corbin, whatever, Corbin Blue, uh, whatever your name Corbin is. Corbin Blue. That's all I could think. Dallas. Corbin Dallas. Um, Just like, you got to slow your roll, dude. You is know, Corbin Blue an actor in those yes. high school musical films? I believe so. <laughs> That's the only Corbin I know. Corbin Blue. Come, come on, Cor- Corbin Dallas. Get your head in the game. We're all in this together here. Are these references? I believe these are songs from High School Musical, Excellent. Memory Serves. Uh, Corbin Dallas, I, he, he's going to bet on it. I think that's a Zac Efron solo from Well, listener... I hope you really enjoyed those because I missed all of it. The point is I love this film so much as a kid. I, this was like close to being my favorite film when I saw it when oh. I was 10. I, I mean, it it had everything that I wanted. It was ridiculous. I'm unsurprised action. having seen it. There, and I think this is my first Bruce Willis film, first Gary Oldman, first Ian Holm. So it's mm-hmm. my first experience with so many of these like huge, huge actors. First Chris Tucker, who then of course like a year, one year later as Rush Hour is like – Chris Tucker taking over Hollywood. Busting into the scene. Bust. Really busting into that scene with Ruby Rod, which I loved. Love, love, love. So, spoilers ahead. If you have not seen The Fifth Element or haven't seen it in a while, here's a brief-ish synopsis. In 1914, a group of aliens called Mondo Shawans, question mark, meet their human contact. I feel like the the, um, captions Mm -hmm. did not spell it the way anyone pronounced it. Oh. No, no, I feel like they would say like Mondo Chiwins, Mondo Chiwins. And they should just like be Mondo- called Robo Turtles because they just look like if the Ninja Turtles, like how Godzilla fights Mecha Godzilla, if the Ninja Turtles had to fight Mecha Turtles. Yes. They, they look like just some kind of, if you combine like the Ninja Turtles and the Putties, like the Foot Clan, or not the Putties, that's Power Rangers. You know what? Get the Putties in there too. So you got Ninja Turtles, the Foot Clan, and the Putties. And you encase, encase them in gold. Like, I don't know what they actually look like because they were just like, those were like Robo exteriors of yeah. these super slow it's like walking what's what's his face in avatar is like i'm in my super suit you know <laughs> stephen lang i don't know the, the villain of avatar yep. i say he's the little guy in the big old big old machine he sure is yes and... they also looked like you took rainbows and turned them into cartoons and then said now let's make them monochrome but like that looked like their heads kind of like i've got a rainbow on my head <laughs> I guess I missed the I've rainbow on their head. I described it perfectly. You described it perfectly, and you'll hear nothing of the sort of any <laughs> complaints otherwise. Uh, so they meet their human contact, a priest of a secret order at an ancient Egyptian temple. They take, for safekeeping, the only weapon capable of defeating a great evil which appears every 5,000 years, and they promise to return the weapon before the great evil's reemergence. In 300 years! Right, but then we go to 2263, which is... 
more than 300 years from 1914. So it's, I don't know why. I mean, that feels like real. Approximately 300 years from now. In the distant future. They might as well just said, like, you know, just the distant future. We get that it's the future. There's flying cars, people. We get it. Uh, We get it. Uh, They promise to return before the great evil's reemergence. The weapon consists of the four classical elements as four engraved stones, plus a fifth element in a sarcophagus what could that fifth element be see i didn't realize it was something in the sarcophagus i thought it was a big stone thing Mm. and that was the fifth element so Uh. imagine my confusion shortly thereafter yes yeah i was like this isn't stone what are we talking this is a person this is a person this person's not made of stone at all uh in 2263 the great wait by the way yes Luke Perry was in this movie. Luke, Luke Perry was but in this movie. He now he no longer is because we're he, not in 1914. I know. We must have had like, he, you know, he had the weekend off from shooting a Beverly Hills 90210. Totally. So I was like, let me, I think he was still shooting that by 1997. I could be wrong. But he, it was he, just like, what, what was he doing in this movie? It's such a small role. He's not even, he's not like the main archaeologist or like uncovering the, all this. He's the like, fun, like diabolical, maybe priest. Yeah, this Rasputin looking priest. Yeah, no, he's just like the I'm assistant. That's oh my gosh. Furiously I, scribbling I these that. alien robo turtles. He's looking like, what? And then like scribbling. And I get that he's trying to look at the robot turtles and yes. not at what he's drawing. Uh-huh. But if you look at the shot that's just him from the front, like drawing, it's clearly like they're just like, no, big air. I need to see you. Uh, um, I need to see your drawing. It's a passion. Of I the need dr- to see all your scales. <laughs> But it just looks like he is like a child, like, it does not look like when you then cut to the reverse and he's like skillfully drawing. <laughs> it, to be fair, his drawing is mostly scribbles. It, it isn't, they don't cut to it. And it's just this like perfect photorealistic drawing. It's better than drawing. what he was doing. Uh, well, this is true. Time. This is very true. But then uh, we flash forward in time and Luke Perry, never to be seen again. Nope. The great evil appears in deep space as a giant living fireball, and the Mando Shao one, the the Robo Turtles, current contact on Earth is priest Vito Cornelius, who informs the president of the Federated Territories of the Great Evil's history and of the weapon that can stop it. And that's Ian Holm. Oh, Ian great. Holm, Bilbo, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Baggins, best little priestie of them all. <laughs> we nailed it. Crushed. On their way to Earth, the Robo Turtles spacecraft is ambushed and destroyed by a crew of Mangalores, an alien race hired by Earth industrialist Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Our boy. That's his full name, huh? Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. That's curious, given all the choices made by Gary Oldman. Um, is it? I feel like that's a name befitting uh, his outfit, his well, yes. hairstyle, not the accent. Um, I guess that's true. I don't know. Well, Anyone like a, with like that a, accent name, Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel. Well, maybe this is a precursor to like Benoit Blank, and then out comes Daniel Craig's uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken voice. And that at least, like, that sounds like someone in the South got too big for their britches. And we're like, ah, well, Blanche Dubois, I come from French stock, so I'm going to name my child Benoit Blanc. But Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg Zorg. is a lot. That's a lot of words for a boy from wherever he's from. Well, he's lived a life. He could have. Well, maybe he, you know, this is his uh, chosen name because he thought it made him sound fancier. Maybe maybe so. It would fit in with his fashion. With his fashion. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's an excellent point. Um, I would guess that the name was like that from the jump, and Geraldman took one look and was like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. That's probably, uh, yes. <laughs> Me, oui. Me, oui. 
uh, Zorg is working for the great evil, which I love just this sector. It's like, uh, Mr. Shadow is on. He just goes by Mr. Shadow, this ball of it's me, your a evil. Right. Um, there's a planet on the phone for you. I love it's just rate. It's sending radio waves <laughs> to him to make a call is one of the funniest things. Oh. And I love it. I love it because it's ridiculous. Uh, a severed hand in metal armor from the wreckage of the spacecraft is brought to New York City. From this, the government uses biotechnology to recreate the original occupant of the sarcophagus, a humanoid woman named Lilu. It's like DNA 3D printing. It is. Mm-hmm. It's a fun sequence. I, I liked it. it. And I, I, lo- especially... I love this, like, yeah, put these thermal bandages yeah. on, and now Secure this is Secure the costume. thermal bandages, and I was like, oh, right, Jean-Paul Gaultier. Yes. Incredible. Did... Incredible costumes in this film. Like, I was, yes, I just loved everything that Gautier put on everybody. I mean, even to the point where it's like Bruce Willis turns around, you're like, oh, that's why this tank top is too tight. It's also got like, it's sort of open in the the back. back. Yeah. Well, you know, you you want, you want some room to breathe in the, on the back. Well, you got to show that skin. You got to show that. You got to show those back muscles. Like this is someone who deadlifts. Yeah. We're showing the back muscles. We're showing the arms. And yeah, I just love that uh, you have such a traditional, like, macho tough guy performance in your lead with bruce willis but he is bleached blonde yep. and has the brightest orange tank top open in the back i yeah. think it's such an, ast- an it's astounding wild. choice and i love it i yes. love i love that he just looks like he's like cruising at like a german gay bar yes uh he's like it's me bruce willis dressed like this makes sense to me and you know what? It makes sense to me. At the time, I was like, why doesn't he look like this in every movie? <laughs> Missed opportunity. <laughs> he should have stayed blonde. I think it suits him. I think it looks great. I, I'm a big fan of this look. It was VV90s. It, it was VVV90s. <laughs> uh, alarmed by the unfamiliar surroundings and high security, Lilu escapes and jumps off a ledge. I love that she that this room where she first like is awoken in or recreated in, mm-hmm. uh, the walls are just a golden aluminum foil. She just bur- jumps through a wall, and it's like, that's aluminum foil. Sure. She also manages to punch through unbreakable glass, which so, I thought was pretty I mean, great. Then aluminum foil holds no no threat. no threat nope, at all. Nope, no problem getting through aluminum foil when you can break right through glass. Uh, so she jumps off a ledge, crashing into the flying taxi cab of Corbin Dallas, a former major in the Special Forces. Dallas, right? Because it's like flying cars, skyscrapers, like millions of, not millions, but many, 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 many stories high. So it's just like she jumps and the street is right below her and very far below her. So it's like- Yeah, no one uses, the street is just covered in like, smog and folk which is how it's like uh, a smoke really... which is how they avoid the police by going uh-huh. in so it's, you just kind of imply like pollution and climate change and so now we just instead of fixing that we just moved we just created flying cars and moved everything like 100 the american yards up. way it does doesn't it yeah and that way you know why, why would we clean that for free when we could just make you all have to buy flying cars now <laughs> Uh, Dallas delivers her to Cornelius and his assistant, David. As she recuperates, she tells Cornelius that the stones were not on the robo-turtle ship, as they were entrusted (laughs) to an alien opera singer, the diva Flava Laguna. Earth's military wants to send Dallas to meet Flava Laguna under the cover of winning a luxury vacation to the planet Floston as part of a rigged radio contest. It's seamless. It really makes no sense. It's a house of cards. As soon as you're like... Wait, because they want to send, the president wants to send, like, a man undercover, like, a real, keep it, like, below, mm-hmm. 
so no one knows. And so they rig a radio contest well, because so everyone I, knows this guy won. I think the idea is, as they said in a brief line of exposition, the the whole planet is basically this ship, right? Like, Or pretty much like that's the only way you can get to this planet. And it's a luxury hotel and it's like swarming with celebrities. Yeah. It's very it's, packed because the diva's there exactly. performing. So yeah. like the only people that are going to be there are going to be people not like Bruce Willis. So the only yeah. way to cover a guy like that being there and being a nobody who also looks out of place is to be like, it's just some schmo who won this thing. I guess that works. You could throw a waiter's uniform on him and try and sneak him in. I don't know. Also, this is like, so Lilu is also, so he, Dallas is going because his like old military commander is convincing him to go. Yeah. As is Lilu already. So they're just going together now. And he's falling he's begun to fall for lilu and we're trying to like in their limited screen time together trying to push this relationship yeah it's like well she's hot so that's why i like her right i forgot that like they get separated so they travel to floston where dallas then meets and is then stuck with the flamboyant talk show host ruby rod incredible chris tucker performance and i didn't realize i was like oh he gets separated from lilu he doesn't even really bother to look for her it's like well he doesn't see her again until she's like Shot in the and vent. trapped in a vent. I was like, oh. Like, he's not, like, looking more? for her, like, oh, should I, oh, shouldn't I be looking for this, you know, yeah. orange-headed chick? Right. And, like, um, we also need to mention that Vito Corleone, of course. Uh, you know, <laughs> Vito Corleone? Yeah, Cornelius. <laughs> Cornelius. Uh, he's stowed away in the air vent or something. Yeah. Somehow. Well, they, you know, he's, like, up with the landing gear. He managed to crawl. He was just going through vents there's a whole uncomfortable you know mini subplot that you could have showed of just him trying to crawl oh, wait, maybe there's more of those little uh ball-shaped gremlins that whole sequence i was like why are we spending so happening? much time here with also this like offensive jamaican pot smoking stereotype that was peculiar i was like why are we doing all this is entirely unnecessary but sure whatever if this is just to establish this is the place where he's gonna get in i don't know it was uncomfortable to me it could have gone a little quicker oh <laughs> so at, at Floston, it includes a concert by Flava Laguna at a flying hotel, the aforementioned incredible performance. Which, I- by the way, I have, I mean, it's great, but the, clearly, like, even if the person that they have under all that makeup is the person who did the vocals, I mean, like, she's obviously not singing live, which is fine. Right. That's how movies work. But, like, I wrote down, like, her gestural life is that of a BFA sophomore. Like, <laughs> she, this is not, like, a real opera singer. Like, you truly can't get the quality of notes that she's doing and move her arms as much as she's moving then, especially when it gets into the fast section and she's doing, like, I, I don't know, how would you describe her, like, movements? Like, her I, I, it just really ranges from kind of just like white hip hop to at times to yeah like an acting one improv acting one like yeah I don't know just be and she's- be the ice like just like being like be the be a tree <laughs> be the wind uh, I don't know I was still into it's especially it starts where it's like very operatic uh, but even hand even gestures. then she's uh, just like moving her like I was like I want something slower and more majestic instead of all this extraneous movement and then when she's doing all this fast stuff which yes a lot of it's been digitally manipulated but a lot of it is like a real singer singing the thing it's like you would not be able to i don't care what kind of species of thing you are if you're singing like (laughs) with that voice you can't move like you're moving she's an opera squid you didn't you didn't know Uh, that opera squids are known for all their like 
We sure are. So let's talk about her now, since we're talking about her already. So when composer Eric Serra showed soprano Inva Mula, who dubs the voice of the diva, the sheet music for the quote-unquote diva dance, she reportedly smiled and relayed to him that some of the notes written were not humanly possible to achieve because the human voice cannot change notes that fast. Mm -hmm. Hence, she performed all the notes, but in isolation for some of them, yeah. one by one, and then they digitized the notes to fit together to like blend together. Diddle, 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 diddle. Right. but she sings it all just not yeah. all no i mean that's thing. that's evident like yeah. she doesn't need auto-tuning oh, of course like that. um but so the diva herself is played by my wen who was luke Besson's fiance at the time and she took the role after the original actress failed to show up what so i don't know how much time she had mm. um so that might also account for uh some improvisatory well it's just interesting too because i was watching it going i would be surprised to learn this as an actual singer performing the body which again like i know it's supposed to be for the visual and who cares but i'm also just like this is hard a lot of what is being asked so during a performance by the diva the mangalore crew which was st stowed away on board attacks everyone and flava laguna dies dallas extracts the stones from her dead body by that was weird digging into her tummy so did so my question then is does she know she's gonna have to die in order to give how did she did she ingest maybe she them? can throw them up i assume that she had to have ingested mm, them yeah okay so maybe she could regurgitate we, we really don't know much about this species of opera squid so she might be able to just kind of i don't know maybe her tummy could just open up by magic as well or she just patooey spits them out she's like a little <laughs> yoshi she's like a little yoshi she could like She'll pop out and pop out the stones like eggs. I don't know. We never find out because she gets gut shot and dies in Bruce Willis's arms. And he's like, well, this is how I'm going in. I love all of these. Like when she's just like, the stones are in me. And all these times that Bruce Willis is like, got to figure out these riddles. In where it's like, me. the stones are like, in her. No, pretty think, literal. Think, think, I'm going to dig a hand inside her tummy. Or like later when it's like, oh, the, the stones, like the elements, like the wind will open the stone what wind will blow wind will blow what can blows what does that mean i don't get it i don't need your riddles <laughs> lilu bruce willis is not a riddle solver well and the funny thing is he doesn't need to be but he thinks he's he made to be a riddle solver he has like this really just this mainly one big action scene where he's shooting all these these aliens here but other than that it's like oh in terms of the action like i forgot until watching this it's like oh so Miliovich's lilu has this one fight scene mm -hmm. that's like that's it. Well, I just I imagine that she has more to physically do. Do, yeah. Which she does not. Yeah. Outside of this one cool fight scene. Uh, which is really fun. Other is than a they, lot of fun. They do just stand there and marvel at her a lot. Where they're like, wow, I've got this giant gun, but I'm going to watch her punch my friend. They also apparently, to assist in the fight scene, they built a fake leg for her so that when she's, she could be like, you're seeing like the top half of her and then they could just shoot this fake leg up to be like to kick a guy in the chin and it just looks like she's doing these really impressive high kicks which i think is fine because you yeah. can't tell Who cares? Uh, but uh i did find quite amusing that there's a fake some some guy is just crouched below film at, at the right moment just go hi -ha, and flop like a rubber foot up into the air that's incredible i love that <laughs> that seems very like the magic of making the movies. The magic of making movies. Dallas extracts the stones from her dead body and kills the Mangalore leader, causing the others to surrender. Zorg arrives, shoots and wounds Lilu, and activates a time bomb. He flees with a case which he assumes contains the no stones. No one checks the case! <laughs> Multiple times that people just think they have the case and the stones will be in there, and they're not. <laughs> and he does, he gets like so much mileage out of his reactions to it, these moments. It's great. I love this one where he's just laughing. He looks 
crazy. And he he's laughing maniacally and then just starts weeping. <laughs> it's like what Nicolas Cage wishes he was able to achieve in that face-off uh, mm. prison scene, yeah. you know? I do. Well, or Nicholas Cage probably thinks he achieved it. I would say Gary Oldman much more successful in this moment. I, Intentionally comedic. I I agree. I could see Nick Cage in this role. Just do. Yes, you're just that's giving him true. free reign, and he's doing whatever he wants to do. But I'm so glad it's Gary Oldman because oh, I, yeah. I love it. Let's I just say it. it's more consistent and cohesive because it's Gary Oldman, and that's hard to do with such a ridiculous character with this Technicolor vest ensemble Ugh, and this I plastic. Want... What was I calling it? A head. hair funnel? You called it a hair funnel. To me, this like plastic shield on the side of his head looks like someone cracked those plastic lids that you'd put on like uh, like a Dairy Queen blizzard. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, so Zorg flees to the case, he, but then returns. After discovering the case is empty, he manages to deactivate his bomb, but a dying Mangalore sets off his own bomb, destroying the hotel and for the honor. Zorg for the honor. Uh, meanwhile, Dallas, Cornelius, Lilu, and Rod escape with the stones in Zorg's private spaceship. As the great evil approaches Earth, they meet David at the temple, they deploy the stones, but Lilu, having learned of humanity's own terrible history of war, has given up on life? Question mark? This S- all seems, seems it's like so like late. It. We're like, we are, the movie, the supposed, I guess, secondary villain of Gary Oldman is dead. And it's just like, now she's like, uh, I've got to V in terms of learning about the right. entirety of world history, which is so funny to me. It's like, you know, under V, you probably also have like Vietnam War. You probably have like other yes. other Korean War, like other wars before just W. You're so right. You're so right. And also, it's just, I didn't quite. You, under- you didn't stop at, at murder, M for murder, didn't dial M for murder, didn't make you pause didn't for about like, go, oh, hmm. humanity, look at you throwing this away. The I also didn't quite understand like the mechanics of how she was learning. Like, it wasn't like in the Matrix where it's like, great, all that information's in my brain. Like, like it, she had to like She's just read all reading. that. And like then she learned English, and mm-hmm. I was like, is she if she's reading it all this quickly? Surely like she'd be able to put in like learn English very fast if she can read that quickly. You'd think I just like the mechanics of all of that. Was well, unclear. it's it's like a brain equivalent of that uh, magic machine that makes chicken where she just like puts in like a little pill oh, I was puts like, it into like this little what looks like a microwave and then it's like ding and pops out an entire chicken I thought for her she to was devour. just microwaving pepper she's microwaving some and pepper. then i realized it was little capsules Ooh, hot pepper chicken, my favorite chicken. snack the favorite snack of the hot fifth pepper. element hot pepper uh no it's that magic chicken machine that just, just comes out with roast chicken so it was like that where it's like you just beep bop boop hit a button and then it just like ding and now you know all these things right but not english but she learned it fast enough. She had other things that she was figuring out. Sure, but I kind of figured that Especially, she then would be then she would be like not still they still had her speaking like slightly like in incorrect uh, syntax and everything by the end. And I was like I, I think by after well, reading the, all that the, she's very intelligent her her context clues would have taught her how to appropriately conjugate things. The English language is needlessly difficult. Now that's true, Jeff. The syntaxes, the syntaxes. It's too tough. It's too tough, I say. Uh, they meet at the temple, but Lilu's given up on life. Dallas declares his love for her and kisses her. In response, Lilu combines the power of the stones, admitting divine light onto the great evil and defeating it. Wait, can we rewind ever so slightly to where they're like, how do we make these dang stones open? And they're all like, 
you have I think I think you have Ian Holm in the foreground with his stone like oh what do I and in the background you see Chris Tucker just like s- trying to smush trying to the smush sto- the stone it's I, so oh, it's funny. great it's such great background action anyway Lilu and Dallas are hailed as heroes and as the president waits to greet them the two embrace passionately in a recovery chamber the casting director of the fifth element was Lucinda Saison Saison has also cast such films as Children of Men X-Men First Class and previous episodes Batman Begins and Wonder Woman Now let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned, some may have just been discussed by casting, this is all a little subjective, and as always, I have looked up all the actors in advance, and Amy Jo is hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. So let's kick it off with Corbin Dallas. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Bruce Willis, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I think Bruce Willis is really good in this movie. As I believe I said about him in in Die Hard, it's like he's very good when he's like very good. Um, I just don't <laughs> care about him. Of course. Um, but I think he he manages. This is a he's having a good time, and I'm like, good on you, Bruce Willis. He apparently had a really good time making this film. So he apparently, uh, I guess, was is not as difficult to work with on this film as he has reportedly been on other film sets because mm. he was enjoying his, himself. So apparently, he was a little. Chiller? A little chiller. We love to hear it. <laughs> um, I kind of was thinking what I wanted in this was some is like who's someone I could like believe in this like blue collar job, fulfill the action star component, but also like I don't know, be like f- fun in this fashion world, mm-hmm. you know, like fit the, oh, the sure. world of that. So I don't know. I have a couple options. Um I thought like Michael B. Jordan would be fun of course and like i'm like that guy can wear a costume like he'd look great uh bobby cannavale a little less in the fashion world but i'm like i, I think but he'd I love be that. game that's great oh sure you know I, I dig that and then for a more 90s option and this is i'm gonna just say it this is a wild choice this is a character actor not an action star but i'm like well i watch this uh christopher mcdonald from um you know, yeah. Thelma and Louise and, and Happy Thelma Gilmore. Thelma and Louise, Shooter McGavin Shooter from McGavin. Happy Gilmore. I buy that guy as like yeah. a put upon if like ex-military. Like, like an action star, which he could have. I think so. I think he just he just is so good at playing an antagonist. So yes. good at playing like a sleazy slimeball type guy. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he seems like a nice enough guy to work with. So I'm not saying that's anything about him on the performer. But he, that's what he's so good at mm-hmm. as an actor. So he kind of gets typecast as that. But I could so Something see like that. Something like this where the uh, protagonist sure. is kind of a wise guy. Yeah. I, yeah, he's a wise cracking protagonist. Yeah, I I then also was thinking like maybe in a, in a more contemporary. Well, maybe I don't know. A few years ago, like someone like a Terry Crews who's like got a comedic bent, but is like you know yeah. I I would buy him as an action star. And and then and I can't believe I'm about to recommend this person because I just don't typically recommend them for anything. But I'm like, what if we had like a ScarJo in this situation? Like, what if a it ScarJo was... as Corbin Dallas? Yes. Like, if we had someone who was like, like a female action kind of star, oh, of you know. Um, I mean, obviously, like we 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 recommend like we recommend Charlize for everything. We do recommend Charlize for everything or Sigourney, in t- especially for an Absolutely. action star, where it's in like, well, why can't this? action male lead be a woman it is easy to be like yeah. like Sigourney since we know she's such a great action exactly, star exactly but uh, yeah I hear that ScarJo to me because it's got to be or at least that's the way that Bruce Willis plays it is someone that seems to always have a bit of a hangover that he's hmm. always just dealing with like I got a bit of a hangover I've like 
I've only got a couple matches left for my cigarettes, and like I don't really want to be here. It's always his like. <laughs> but is that his... in, in the text? Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I could see no. that it could just be someone who was like so. Um, I mean, because what is in the script is that clearly he's the only one of his unit that survived. Yeah. And so he's clearly like, I don't want any part of that anymore. I'm going to go drive a cab, you know? So, like, I think it's just pitching that so it works for comedy, which I think they do quite well, actually. They don't, like, get into all that, but they put it there for you. Yeah. That back, the background is there for yeah. you to pick up on. Or me at 10 was like, whatever. I, this is oh, yeah. going over okay. my head completely. Uh, yeah, I hear that. Uh, like at the time, so '97. I mean, just give me Will Smith. This is the year after Independence Day. Mm-hmm. If you just want, you know, it's hard when it's also like he is the protagonist. He's not. He's not in large chunks of this film. Yeah, and he is not driving the action for so much of the film. I mean, so much of it is just happening to him. Correct. She falls into his cab, and then. <laughs> What a coincidence, his unit is the one that reached out to that him to send like him there. Too many kawinky dinks. A lot of kawinky dinks. And then just like going to the end, it's like there's not, he's, that's why, you know, he's then having this big action scene where he's shooting all these mm-hmm. alien warthog looking guys, uh, which I do love all the, those masks, those like the practical effects I do think are yeah. great. I do love yeah. them. They do look at warthogs. <laughs> right. So I wonder, Will Smith is someone who's like, he's turned down roles where he's been like, they're not the hero. They, they don't they don't kill mm. the final guy. They don't get to do that. So I could see him being like, he's not going to kill Zorg. He doesn't even meet Zorg. Yeah. Uh, although in 97, Will Smith probably had less of that kind of say so. For sure. Uh, but I could see that. I could see like a Brad Pitt. I could. Oh, it's not my favorite, but a I could get Brad that. Pitt. What I want, he never got to do this kind of thing. Give me Christopher Maloney. Give me oh, someone that that's like, I want to see Christopher Maloney in that orange tank top. And <laughs> after having seen Wet Hot American Summer, we know the man can wear a tank. The man can wear a tank. Show off that Maloney bod. <laughs> uh, but I think that's someone that I'm like, that, to me, is funny. It's him surrounded. Because he's also a, the straight man, but surrounded by such colorful supporting yes. characters. Yes. Between Lilu and Ruby Rod and Cornelius and Zorg. Even though he doesn't meet Zorg, still Zorg being in this film, everyone is such at, at at an 11 so to have someone that like is it, at a mere seven to not right but to not underplay it but to still be at their level but yeah. is still on his own level and christopher maloney is someone i mean just from what hot american summer alone is like he can go there, there. he can go to an 11 and <laughs> hump that fridge um <laughs> if this was made earlier i could see younger kurt russell it's also because i'm thinking uh... of him in this in the john carpenter film big trouble in little china where he is supposed to be the hero but he actually doesn't do anything he accomplishes nothing everything he does is fail fails he's really a sidekick to the guy that's kicking all the ass he does like one thing where he catches a knife and he's so surprised that he does it (laughs) uh so he seems someone that would also be down to be like oh yeah how about she's just kicking all the ass and i'm there and i'm just this quippy guy wearing a tank top real well uh or if this is made around today I could see, you know, give me Chris Pine. Give me Oscar Isaac. They're they're always so good at this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Give me Carl Urban. Carl Urban is someone that I want to see who doesn't always get to do this kind of thing. Totally. He's in so much. I mean, between the Star Trek and the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the man can wear a strong choice of a costume. He sure can. And he's transformative. I like I, I really would I, it's hard for me to reconcile his character in Thor Ragnarok with his character oh, yeah. in, uh, oh my god in he looks so Lord different in Thor Ragnarok yeah, yeah. Uh, so Bruce Willis expressed interest in the film early on but he was very reluctant to take it on because the film was considered very risky and his previous two films Hudson Hawk and Billy Bathgate had 
been received very poorly because mm-hmm. this was originally planned in the early 90s and then it kind of got put on hold mm-hmm. luke Besson then did the professional because it was also as, as i feel like this is often the case someone comes in with like i want to make this movie that will cost so much to do and they're like prove it how about you yeah cut your teeth on something smaller and then we'll go from there later on luke Besson was in barry josephson's office when willis called regarding a different movie and Besson asked to speak to willis just to say hello and told him that the movie was finally going ahead explaining that they were going to have to go with a less expensive actor because Bruce Willis kept saying, he's like, I'm interested, but his price point was too yeah. high. So originally, Luke Besson was like, I guess we'll go with like a smaller actor or whatever we'll have to do. So just let him know. It's like, you know, we would love to work with you, but we can't afford you. Short silence. And Willis said, if I like the film, we can maybe come to an arrangement. He So Luke Besson said, I came to New York City. He read the script. Two hours later, he said he'd do it. Wow. Sometimes uh, you just got to ask. Sometimes you just got to ask. Uh, so originally, though, the other actor that Luke Besson considered, Mel Gibson, who turned it down. I and I forget so get he that. exists because we hate him. Because we, we try to forget he exists. We do. <laughs> so I forget that. But like that makes a lot of sense. I, I think can, that, I can uh, see yeah. it very easily. Because it is. Yeah. You have like this. It's like, it's like a macho tough guy role but you need a certain sensitivity you need for him to be able to sell you can't have like a stallone you need to be able to sell God, this imagine. as much as you can sell this like love story yep going on you know you have him like literally on the phone to his buddy finger like on his bed just being like i had this the, the fair you know the the fair that you can't say no to of, like legs for days and like this he's just like he he's, he looks like a little like a little teenage girl with his her princess phone like talking about like the boy at school and i it's so hilarious to me with like 40 something year old bruce willis with his bleach blonde hair and orange tank top uh but i could see that with mel gibson i'm glad that it was not uh but he was doing 1997's conspiracy theory instead with julia roberts and p stew Patrick it. stewart a lot of people did uh <laughs> So Luke Besson said, I had asked Mel Gibson first because he had his office next to mine at Warner Brothers. He peeked into my office every morning to tell me that he was still thinking about it. After three months, he passed, and Bruce was the only other choice I had in my mind. Now, him saying that, that that was the only choice that he had in mind, I also saw that when he was considering a less costly lead actor that he had considered or possibly offered it to Jean Renault who turned it down, oh, who was, of course, the lead in, of The Professional. professional. Uh, and this was like, Mission Impossible was 96. This is a smack dab in between. Mission Impossible, and then 98, where he had Godzilla and the movie Ronin with Robert De Niro, which was kind of his big... This is Jean Reno? Jean Reno, yes. Okay. That, those were, that's like his big Hollywood foray. He had like mm-hmm. a few other small roles and things, and he'll pop up. I think he's in The Da Vinci Code. But that was like, those like three years, Mission Impossible, Godzilla, and Ronin were like the three biggest Hollywood films that he's done, in my opinion. Um, so I could see it. I mean, I cannot imagine this film being, it's still like, he's never, very different. I mean, those films, Mission Impossible, Ronin and Godzilla, he is very much a supporting role in, uh, and the professional is such a smaller, teeny it's a tiny very film. different, oh, right. very different vibe. And, well, that vibe is uh, of course, but it wasn't like that launch that launched him in the sense that like, oh yeah, we'll put this French character actor in, you know. You can play four, the four roles down from yeah. Tom Cruise or yeah. three down from Matthew Broderick, but uh, I, I I can I dig. It. I mean, I love genre now. I think he's great every time I see him in anything. But it is hard to picture. It's hard to picture this movie getting made with with an actor like Jean Reno at yeah. that level uh, and stage in his career. But um, I do like him a lot. Let's keep it going with Ruby Rod. Amy Joe, your thoughts on Chris Tucker and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? This performance is 
such a treat, so delightful, so funny. I, like every moment Chris Tucker was on screen, I was just like, give me more of that. I, I just wanted to watch him do whatever it was he was doing. Just like <laughs> oh yeah, full tilt boogie the whole time. Such a great, the perfect way of taking up space. Oh, Talking about a character of how they disturb the air when they come into a room. That he comes in, and especially it's great, that op- the scene when he first is coming into the this opera house, and you have, like, all the celebrities. And he just, he's taking it all. He's the one that, like, everyone knows Ruby Rod. Mm-hmm. I love his one quote. A perfect replica of the old opera house. But who cares? Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> who cares? It was just, it just made me laugh. And the costumes, but also These the way that he wears them. Yeah magnificent i thought it was so fun and you said that this was apparently a very divisive performance yes he was nominated for a razzie for worst new star I just think which that's is so cruel too I why do we do agree. that i think I he's it. doing everything that the role is supposed to yes. be so i don't think if you have a problem with his performance in it i think that's just more of your problem with the role you could argue but he's also not playing a gay character Correct. He's playing a very flamboyant it's man a very, who is to me it was clearly hitting on a lot of women. Yeah, to me it was clearly like a hybrid of like Prince and Michael Jackson. Yeah. But in a like a cartoon landscape. Like these these men that are huge showmen. I think that he rides the line quite well. I think if this were made today, it'd be more likely like Billy Porter is obviously on it's my the list. Same. It's my like, own, only other person. Like that, but then you're getting who would someone have been who is perfect in 1997. At, that's very Chris, true. Chris Tucker was Although, like 25 at the time of this. Billy Porter in 1997 was still like trying to like be in the music industry as it like his management was like, no, you have to like play butch, like play straight, you know. And now that he has like. You know what? No, I don't want to do that. Look at the success the man has had. And thank goodness. And thank goodness. But yeah, so so like I think if it were made today, you would have a much more a much easier time being like, but what if he weren't like pleasuring women all around and it could just be like this queer character or like let it be more fluid, yeah, you know? Sexually fluid exactly. character. Who cares? And and Billy Porter, of course, uh is pray tell in pose and a huge Broadway legend for those who are Tony unfamiliar boots. with him. Um, magnificent. So, I mean, Billy Porter is at the top of my list. Um, I also thought this might be like a really fun Bowen Yang from SNL kind oh, of character. Very different, but Bowen, like, th- I have seen Bowen perform long before SNL on many, many a New York City stage. <laughs> and this kind of thing, it would be, it would be different, but it would be tremendous. Like seeing Bowen take on a character like this, this heightened. Um, but one of the things that Bowen became quite well known for on the internet before SNL is this lip sync video where he like lip syncs to Tyra's whole thing. Like I was rooting oh, for we, you. We were oh. all rooting for you. And it's perfect. <sighs> Go look it up if you haven't seen it. It is truly perfect. Um, but like that type of, of intensity would be great. And then I thought this would also be like a fun Keegan-Michael Key moment type thing. Like oh, I, I see, see a world in which yeah. like this is a fun – because he's just like such a live wire, yeah. um, which is a lot of what this role requires. So it would it would have a different feel, um, but I, I think that would also be fun. But you know, I dig that a lot, but yeah, I, I love Tucker that. Is, I think it's such a great oh. performance. As soon as he comes onto the screen, I'm just tickled. I'm just so delighted. Everything that he does, everything he does, him accidentally whacking some – flight attendant like <laughs> in the, the in the in the head and she goes flying through a door and out of the movie him just signing all these autographs by dunking a paintbrush into red paint and just like sl- like slapping it on all these paint these pictures it's 
hilarious. I also really appreciated the way that the movie introduced the concept of something green be like, oh, it's so green. It's only used with him. People use it with him and around him. That no one ever explains what it is because you don't need to. I was like, it's just so clear, like what this means, even if you never state what it means. It was. I just thought that that was like handled so it's crystal well. green. It's ever it's emerald. Green. It's, it's whatever you want. It's whatever kind of green you want. We green evergreen. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and this is such twenty five years old. This is because this is the year he had Fifth Element, Money Talks, and Jackie Brown, and then Rush Hour was ninety eight, which then like this was the same year as Jackie Brown. Same year as Jackie Brown. Wow. Uh, so. Ding, ding, ding. The source, unsurprisingly, the source for the role and both considered Prince and Michael Jackson. Yeah. It's My, it's very, yeah. to me, like you hear it in the voice, you see it in the style. Exactly. Like it, it just feels like a perfect like uh, synthesis of these two. I agree. To me, because it's so much like them, it would be so, dis- already be so distracting to have either of them in the yes. film, especially Michael Jackson. I thought he Prince was, seemed maybe. less considered than Prince. Prince yeah. like is on the record for having turned it down but he turned it down because he thought the costumes were too feminine prince (laughs) wowie wowie wow i don't know well they are like a bit the necklines are very those big open like necks and the i mean and then he's like covered in roses it's true i guess but it it just still feel like it's perfect prince like wow okay uh but him especially it was like at least on the record for like okay he was offered it but that to me it's like when you have to me that's distracting because then it's like having prince not even playing a role it feels like you're getting prince to play prince yeah you're having this flamboyant incredible performer who's a a horn dog hitting on all these women so i'm Mm -hmm. like so you just want prince to be prince a future prince uh the the once and future prince the once and future space prince uh yes i just i don't know i I love what chris tucker does in this i mean it'd be amazing to see prince in this but it's like really outside of you know i think also rain and yeah under the cherry moon like that's that's the thing is you get someone like chris tucker who is so funny and can take everything you know and and synthesize what someone like like prince did and brought changed the game with and be like and now how do i take that and make it fit in this uh world because it is someone who is more high status who is have has this level of celebrity but then is immediately then his character arc Willing is being to... brought down yes, yes. and is in juxtaposition to Bruce Willis. And like, I'm, I don't know. I feel like someone's walking off set. If you put Bruce Willis and Prince into a room, mm. like those are mm. both strong personalities. Yeah. And apparently, and this was thankfully before, or a movie that Bruce Willis was not throwing his weight around. Cause there are films before this where he's, we're doing, we're going to make this like the change in lines, change in like, Ugh. like I'm directing this now pretty much. That kind of diva behavior. I wonder if it's also partially because it's so out there that he's like, whatever. I'm yeah. just going to have fun as opposed to like, this is like real and I'm going to make it more real for me. Like maybe something maybe it about is the like, like. This is so out of my comfort zone that, that like, I. Who cares? Right. Who am I to say what should be done to, to you know, him giving notes to the, op, to the, uh, opera, to the squid, squid. opera squid. You know, could you imagine and be like. Yeah, maybe that was it. He was trying to give her notes on how to hold her arms. And, maybe that and she was, was it. Like, he was like, it's too boring. I don't <laughs> like this opera. I want to see a lot more squid arms. Right. My kids, my kid rumor, she loves, she loves when I do this, when I do this kind of like uh, wiggle arms. You should do some of these wiggle arms. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so along with Prince and Michael Jackson, no, that sound means it's time to play a quick round of two truths and some guy. The way it works Two of the following actors were up for the role of Ruby Rod. One was not. 
Amy Jo is to guess which is which. Your options are Chris Rock, Lenny Kravitz, and Jamie Foxx. Chris Rock. That is correct. As far as I can tell, Chris Rock was not considered. See, here's the thing. I figured if they were looking at Prince, like, let's look at someone else who is a singer, who's not necessarily an actor. And then Jamie Foxx does. I I don't want to see Jamie Foxx do this, but I can see the logic train that would be like, Jamie Foxx could also execute this. Especially at this point in his career. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like Chris Rock, I feel like you put in to trick me. I did. Uh, apparently, <laughs> Jamie Foxx was too muscly at the time. Like, he was just looking at him. Luke Besson was like, between him and Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker was just like a string I'm bean. All and tendons. those costumes look so good oh, yeah. on that slim, slim, like, stick of a frame. Yeah. Uh, whereas Jamie Foxx, it was just, it's not it's not meant to be. And Lenny Kravitz, because I've seen him, he was in, uh, he's a support, small role in Precious. And he's in some of those Hunger Games movies. And I think he's actually really good. Like, if he actually wanted to act more, I think mm-hmm. that would rule. So I could actually, I think he would have been a really good choice. Mm. I think if Chris Tucker didn't do it or wasn't available, I think Lenny Kravitz might be my, I might put over Prince because it's less expected. Yes. Um, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, moving on to General Monroe, who is Bruce Willis's old general who shows up and gets <laughs> stuffed into a fridge in probably the silliest, like, farcical scene. It's also yes. that, this movie of, like, juggling. Like, now we're in full farce. We're in with, with- home is pushed into a bed and getting plastic wrapped and you saran wrapped the, you over have the and- woman. Why did they have that woman in full Princess Leia buns? In the future, that's the hairstyle. She's the only person... <laughs> with them and it's like it's it's, uh, it's military regulation but i but just i mean from a filmmaking perspective being like oh we're doing a movie and they're about to go to space and it's in the future let's definitely do one of the most iconic hairstyles well maybe it's they they thought they're like oh she's gonna be you know the honeypot where she's gonna be she's gonna be your uh your side your side piece for uh you're still thinking logic internally to the film and i'm talking about the like jean-paul gautier you know he looked at the hair and he was like i want to make buns i I want buns i want but we will do bigger than uh, carrie fisher much bigger i'm honestly surprised it wasn't more buns you should should, there should be like the two on the side and then one more on top that maybe one more on the back like a propeller yeah like a propeller (laughs) We, we indeed. Uh, so yes, Amy Joe, your thoughts on Brian James as General Monroe, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I don't have a, a dog in this race. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's I have, a much smaller part. I have put here because I looked him up and I was like, "Who's the same age?" So I put down Bob Gunton because I like him. Oh, love Bob Gunton. And he'd be good. I'd like well, to see him stuffed into a fridge. I love it. <laughs> uh, he most well known for being the warden in Shawshank Redemption, but also was Sweeney Todd in the '90s revival. <laughs> so you know. Well, he can handle, he can handle comedy. That, very true. Very very true. He can handle largesse. The man comes from the theater, the original Juan Perón in Evita. Oh, that's right. So the guy could handle the style. So I yeah. say Bob Gunton. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah. So Brian James, he uh, was this character actor. He, d- he died two years after this film came I know, out. I saw that. Crazy. Um, but he was in stuff at like fifty four. Yeah, very like young, that. very young. But he was in Blade Runner, Forty Eight Hours, Robert Altman's The Player. Uh, what I love about him is I think he absolutely nails authority. He comes in and it immediately reads authority figure yeah. and an idiot. He's a great resting idiot face that he does. I'm not without, saying this about the actor. Without but his, it being um, yeah. goofy or exactly. cartoonish. His jaw is just always slightly open <laughs> and he always just has this pinched face. He also, as soon as he gets, he's the one that gets punched through the glass by, or he gets oh, grabbed right. through the glass and then gets his head like bonked against the glass by uh, Lilu at the beginning. 
that he has like the split like broken nose yeah. moving forward he's this is one great shot where bruce willis is shoving him into the fridge under the guise of lilu has shown up and it's he's saying like this is my new wife but she, but hates, she hates the military, the military. so you guys gotta get into this fridge and it's finally he's like we won't fit in here it's like i'll show you will and he makes this like he looks like a cartoon mouse we're just like mm, as he gets shoved it looks like rizzo in muppet christmas carol where he's getting shoved <laughs> into this fridge and it makes me laugh every time i see it uh i think it's great i think it nails it it's exactly what it needs to be mm-hmm. and he's not too big and distracting of an actor like apparently considered kevin costner kevin costner kevin costner and once again this is all a little subjective from my research my deep dive on the internet this is what i came up with that supposedly they wanted kevin costner for all i know this role was bigger he could he have been more, more of a sense in the role. bruce willis role i would agree which with i that. wouldn't want to see but and that... i would agree with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah instead in 1997 kevin costner was too busy directing and starring in the postman which was a three-hour critically reviled bomb oh, right 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 didn't see it no one did. But I'm remembering its existence. You're remembering its existence. Uh, so, yeah, I think that worked out well. Because that's also distracting to having Kevin Costner yeah. in that role. Like You got to think it. about even, how you're weighting the casting. Even today. Even in 2021 of the kind of roles. I mean, Kevin Costner is still the lead of movies. Of He'd make more sense for the president. Which, sure. by the way, I'm glad we had Tom Lister Jr. Like, I, hello. Tiny. Oh, tiny. Tiny. But, tiny like, Lister that Jr. at least is someone who it's like... I get we're putting someone kind of famous or very famous into this president role, even though the role isn't that big. You're like, this is an authority figure. No, definitely. It just doesn't make sense to me. And like, according to the internet, according to what I could come up with. We know the internet is never wrong. A little curious. The internet's never wrong, people. It told me so. (laughs) Uh, But let's move on to Lilu. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Mila Jovovich? And who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? This is a hard role, and I think she crushes. Yeah. She, number one, I mean, as as much as I have feelings about the way that they have chosen to costume her, she looks incredible in all of this stuff. The hair, the bandages, the then, like... These great, I love that, like, orange... Suspen- she's like, giving me a real Tina Burner, season 13, <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> Tina Burner loves a bright orange she suspender. Is. She is. She is giving me, like, you know... And Tina Burner, but more fashion. Orange hair. Exactly. Which I wonder if that's why they costume Bruce in the orange tank top. It's like you, to you're, you're showing them already they're on the same like that color is spectrum. How we, that's how we costume to tell a story, folks. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but anyway, I thought I thought she was great. Also, like to be that convincing talking in this made up language. I I really thought she did a fantastic job with the actual nonsense that she was asked to do. Yeah, so the divine language spoken by Lilu was invented by Luc Besson and further refined by Mila Jovovich, who had little trouble learning and developing it as she was already fluent in four languages. Yeah, that also made sense to me when I realized she was born in Ukraine. It's like, okay, okay, so she's probably at least bilingual, which makes it then much yeah easier to sell something like that. Right. So my thought, I had a number of thoughts like if you're casting someone else but if you're calling them the supreme being i have feelings about it being a white like a little white chick but Mm -hmm. um regardless um i thought if we're going to go with a white person i would want to see someone like gwendolyn christie who's six foot four (laughs) and towers over everyone else and it's like yeah yeah we should all bow down also 
she would look great in any kind of fashion. But I, I like something that subverts the fact that like we've created a perfect being and look, she's hot. Yeah, she's like a hot, tiny Eastern European. Um, I just have feelings about that. Nothing against Mila Jovovich, who, again, I think is fantastic. So I was like, you know, if I had my druthers and this were being made today, I'm like, just get me Lupita. <laughs> get me someone who mm. it's like, yeah, you are like a beautiful, dark-skinned woman who would still like look incredible in these costumes. But it's like, we're not saying like, we're going to Egypt you know, which it's not, they're not implying that this, this being is Egyptian in any way, but it's just like, it felt weird to like be in Africa and then it find out that it's this like white woman. I don't know. I had like weird feelings about it. I was oh, just like, course. I don't know how you handle this. Oh, I agree. I but, mean, 1997, they just thought that they were being progressive by just having it be a woman. I that's, think that's, that's true. That's the like, lev- that's where we were at in Hollywood, and exactly. not in Hollywood, but and where I think we're we could go a lot and further I, now. Of course. You know? I, oh, absolutely. If it's made today, definitely. 100%. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think she's so great. I mean, this was like my first like film crush because I was 10 years oh, old yeah. when I saw this and I was just like, this is the most beautiful woman in the world. She's so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, she'd be young for 97, but because uh, I just rewatched Crouching Tiger not too long ago, but like Z Zhang, it's also just like someone who can actually fight. fight. You're not and getting a fake foot. You're not getting the fake foot. And she did. Let me see if I within my notes. Uh, Jovovich said it was sort of a my fair lady situation because I was really learning to be a completely new person where normally I would have been reading a book or talking on the phone or hanging out with my friends. I was at the zoo at the animal cages, imitating the lions and the birds and the wolves. I spent months in this kind of seclusion, going from one lesson to another, acting and movement and dance and fight choreography. So I think she did still work her guts out on this. And I think it shows on the screen. Um, But I think it's also when you're starting with someone that probably has zero fight training compared to like. Someone that has some martial arts experience. Some martial arts experience. It's also considering like all, all more recent, if this is made more today, Sophia Butella, who's in stuff like Kingsman and Star Trek Beyond mm. and Atomic Blonde. Uh, and then there's this actress, uh, Rila Fukushima, who played Yukio in The Wolverine, which is the one where Hugh Jackman goes to Japan. So she's a okay. Japanese actress. But she's really, it's like she did that, where she's incredible in it. And then she's apparently on the show Arrow, playing this character katana for like not even 20 episodes and i'm like why is this she's in a few other things of like guest spots like one episode of game of thrones but i'm like why is this performer not in more because they're an incredibly striking presence they're also i did not see that ghost in the shell movie with scar joe but she's some role in that but it seems like not a huge role like not a named character but maybe it's like one of those characters where they're just called like i forget like the red shrouded woman and they are bigger than that name would uh, imply. Yeah. I don't know. But she's someone that is incredibly striking features and it kicks so much ass in the Wolverine. Like she's yeah. const- she's like saving Hugh Jackman at times. And like that's like the energy that I want. For sure. Honestly, I could see Hugh Jackman in the Corbin Dallas role. Oh, yeah. Because he's someone that you can do. Abs- that's absolutely right. I'm like, you know, I got I'm the, got the hangover and I'm smoking and I'm like kind of a – I can do tough guy. But he's also someone that he just has an innate – likability yeah and he again loves the musical theater so he's like not afraid of style you know and, and being in a heightened place. Of that style he is one of our greatest showmen he, oh brother literally he is he's the, the greatest showman oh, i guess he is <laughs> um also i don't actually want it now that we've seen her limits as an actor with the sequel but oh also at the all the amount of times in this film they're talking about the stones i was just thinking oh of my God. <laughs> wonder woman 1984 of this give me the stone you know what let's say we're recommending gal gadot from the brains that didn't see wonder woman 1984 yes so that's if this what was, it is yes having if we, just if we were doing wonder this woman, in november 
Right. We're recommending right. Gal Gadot. But then it's like if Fifth Element was made in whatever, 2017, at this, imagining this with Chris Pine as Corbin Dallas and her as Lilu, I'm like, I'm yeah, into that, that. That makes sense. I'm into that. That makes but a also, lot of sense you know what? to me. One of the things I think made Wonder Woman work better than Wonder Woman 1984 is because is that Wonder Woman was not fully on her shoulders and she was allowed to just play fish out of water. Whereas in 1984, yeah. she's got to do a lot more like heavy lifting that she's just not prepared to do. Right. So I think actually the demands of this role because she is still doing so much that to also have to carry the film would be i, I think too much because yeah. with all the, with the stuff with the language all the stuff she's also i think so funny i think she's so charming and the whole like lilu dallas multi-pass yeah. like multi-pass like she knows it's a multi-pass anyway we're in love <laughs> um basan said he settled on emiliovich because he believed she possessed a look that could be from the past or from the future which i thought was interesting that is interesting um I've seen separately that she either beat out 300 women for the role or 3,000 women for the role. Those are different numbers. Those are different numbers. I saw that it was that Bassan saw between 200 and 300 women. So maybe it was like 3,000 women that Lucinda Sazan went through and then that whittled down it that might have been like 3,000 came to the open call and then like uh, you yeah know, or a, she's she's watching like 3,000 tapes or like I, i'm not yeah. sure i'm not sure but uh she beat out uh, is a, a role that was in high demand at the time uh and she beat them all out which was just like you know she's got a small role in dazed and confused the link later movie but this is like the film that really put her on the map yeah, and for sure yeah uh and i think it's so good so in what observers on set called an open secret Besson fell in love with Miliovich, and they arrived together at the movie's premiere at the Cannes Festival and got married the same year. Well, you know, <laughs> you're going to sit around and confirm making up a secret language together and then it's going to do I some know, stuff. I know, but the diva was played by his then fiance. She wasn't in that scene. This is true. They cleverly <laughs> kept her out of that opera scene. <laughs> She's too... If I make her the... Di- I don't know why I'm making this the voice of Luke Besson. Hey! If, I, if I make her the diva, she'll be stuck in makeup for hours. That is true. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Luke Besson seems like a bit of a piece of... Mensch! P.O.S. Uh, sure, mensch. That's the word. That's the Wait, word. the opposite. The opposite. Anyway, of the actors that were up for... Lisa you gonna name all 300 now? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> did you get that let me go again oh okay oh, phew oh man that is hard to speak that fast well, you do a great job your articulation is phenomenal thanks classically trained <laughs> no but uh i've only seen found two of the act of the 300 that's actors a that lot considered wow we've got a lot of different numbers happen <laughs> i just couldn't i couldn't find it people if, if something i will i'm happy to do a little bonus app if other people can find out who's up for the yeah year, is there I like a dvd out there somewhere with a commentary where he just lists them all <laughs> the, doubt the it. entire commentary is just like okay number one <laughs> sandra bullock sandra bullock <laughs> Number two, Nicole Kidman. Number three. Uh, but no, neither of them were considered. But you know who was? You guessed it. Julia Roberts. Oh, uh, <laughs> How and why? I don't understand. Didn't you watch Hook? She was too busy doing Conspiracy Theory with oh, Mel Gibson. Right. Uh, and My Best Friend's Wedding. And like, that's where you live, Julia. And you know what? Julia, People Julia, apparently you... love that movie, I guess. Yeah, sure. But regardless that she can like, I think as much as people love a movie like that, uh, it's because she, her talents, perfectly designed yes. for that, and for, not for that, to and not for your, your to pretty root around and for your like, yeah, 
He did, considering that she was kind of like box office poison at the time. It's not her fault that that script was what it was. That is true. But she wasn't good She's in She's also Showgirls. not. I mean, it is also an unobjectively terrible film and a dumb role, but she is also not good in that That's film. very true. And Unlike with like Chris Tucker, where it's like, I think you can see that this is an actor with tremendous skills whether or not you like what he's doing with them. It feels like he's executing the job asked of him quite well. Whereas in Showgirls... There's a lot going on there. You know what, though? She's trying. She's she, trying. She's trying. She is so never hard not to, trying. And as roles. we know, America doesn't like a girl who tries hard. You know, we're very cruel to Anne Hathaway because she seems to want things, you know? Yeah. I, I, I am prey to these feelings as well. And I'm like, well, you're a tryhard, Jackson. Why are you being so mean in your brain to Anne Hathaway just because she wants to do well? Like, you know, calm it down. I know. I've always liked Anne Hathaway. I'm always sad that she gets, like, such flack. Yeah. And I think it's just because... I don't care. I don't care about any, I do not care about a single moment or any iota about Anne Hathaway as a person, but as a performer, I love her work. Mm. I love her in Rachel Getting Married. I think she's great in Les Mis. I think she's a fantastic Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. I think she's great. Not in everything. There are things where I'm like, eh, that's not my favorite, but I, I've, uh, you know, although I will say that as she has defended the film Serenity past the point of okay. of uh believability and hathaway has yes that's that's a bridge too far <laughs> that's it that is where we draw the line and if you watch that movie and you think it's good you got you got you're too close to the project and i, and I get not wanting to badmouth the films that For you do sure. bruce bruce willis this is also how you know that he had a good time because he didn't then take it back later because all yeah. the so often I, I think die hard two three four and five at the time he said it's great, and I had a great time making it. And by, like, three years after the fact, he goes, what a terrible piece of crap. <laughs> Whereas he seems to really enjoy this film. And uh, anyway, Anne Hathaway, not up for this role. But Elizabeth Berkley was. Which, uh, I mean, if it wasn't for Showgirls, maybe just being able to get, throw her into a boot camp of all these classes of martial arts and dance and who knows. I maybe. do think having someone that's lesser known is what I think it's very helpful helps the character for sure so Julia Roberts is bananas to consider that just doesn't make sense I mean I get why they would think that but I that truly just seems like studios being like let's get Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts I could be mistaken but I think in Robert Altman's The Player I think the movie within the movie is the habeas corpus with I think it's Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts have you seen The Player no no wait with Tim Robbins yeah and, and like all and these isn't R- and- Richard E. Grant's in it probably like half of hollywood's in that film yeah and like some kind of cameos but if i did i saw it like uh, in in college so it's mm. been a minute but anyway the film within the film it's like by the end of the movie it's gotten so many studio notes and has been so many rewrites and like refilmed chunks that it's just now the worst cloying emotional like he whatever i think he like breaks into a prison to stop an execution before his love julia roberts dies and now it ends with them like whatever like traffic was hell and like gives her a smooch like the stupidest thing when it's supposed to be this heavy hitting drama that like and then they die at the end uh so imagining then the two of them 
together in this film, I would just picture habeas corpus A and B. Now I'm just thinking of them in Ocean's 12. I was about to say, weren't they in Ocean's 12? When Julia Roberts when is as Tess is pretending to be Julia Roberts and runs into Bruce Willis as Bruce Willis being like Julia and it's one of the worst things ever put on film again I think I've said it on the pod before but I'm not afraid to repeat it that's two hours of my life I'll never get back and at the time we went and saw it in a theater and I was like this is unbearable so those were all the characters that I found other casting options for, but there are a few characters we didn't mention, so I want to oh, briefly sure touch are. on them. We've talked about old Luke Perry. We've got President Lindbergh, apparently is his name, Tom Lister Jr. I don't know why I don't he's think named we after ever cheese. Hear that. I know. So early on in the film, Bruce Willis has a phone conversation with this character, Finger, who is uncredited. Right. And he's like, I forget, he, he wants, what exactly did he want Bruce Willis Does for? Does like, like some, own the cab? Maybe he owns the cab company. He, he wants, I, I couldn't tell if it was like maybe something shady that he needed Bruce Willis like a, to be a, a driver for. Or if like he owns the cab itself. Like I, I owns, couldn't tell. I, I don't he's know. He's got like two conversations with this actor. And I was shocked because knowing in my research of who this performer is and then watching it and being like, nope, still wouldn't have guessed pre-fame vin diesel vin diesel vin diesel because you told me like we stopped the movie around that point and i mentioned the phone call you're like oh remember that this that he had this phone call because this is someone like pre-fame so then when we were watching it again and not watching it again but when we restarted it and then the second phone call came i was listening i was like i can't make out who this is it's the year before saving private ryan which is like his first like big so he was he was talking like (laughs) his voice had not quite dropped to bassoon levels (laughs) that it is now the like Um, the tuba the tuba that is just like falling downstairs right yes he he wasn't yet talking like the adults in, in Peanuts. <laughs> Not quite yet. He sounded like a, a person. Right. But it's Finn Diesel, which blew my mind. Wow. So there's the actor playing the cop in the driver's seat waiting at the McDonald's restaurant at the beginning, who then is just like, oh, I'm not going to go chase this hot rider. And then he spills. Bruce Willis' cab hits the side of the car to start this car chase. And uh, so the actor's name is Mac McDonald. That. <sighs> Was he just hired because his name was Mac mcdonald's and then they drive into a mcdonald's truck and get covered in fries as though this and truck burgers, of supplies the truck is just is full of loose burgers and fries <laughs> what uh, yeah i was like is this future technology perhaps of uh that that's how there's just preservatives are so stuffed into this food that it's just already so pre-made to the I mean, point that they're ready to go it's, maybe so. They're not. It's not even. They're not frozen. They're not refrigerated. They I are. Love that. Two hundred years go. in the future, we've still got McDonald's. Two hundred years in the future, we still have all the tech in the world, and yet Gary Oldman has a Rolodex. Oh, that is also my favorite scene, which we kind of skipped over. But oh, he yeah. like because he was posing as like an art collector oh, right, right. to try to get the stones from Vito Cornelius, and then he has Ian Holm brought in. And he's like this whole monologue about like I, I I'm not just a destroy I'm not just a destroyer and he breaks a glass and then all these little Wally robots come in to Roomba it up. Look at all the commerce. Right. And, and, and exactly of all like I'm creating jobs by dest- the more I destroy the more people are hired to have to build. And then he chokes on a cherry. He has a little seltzer and cherry and he starts choking. He's mashing buttons and there's a Rolodex flipping. There's like he accidentally locks the doors. And then my favorite character, which is a teeny tiny, some reject from Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. This little multicolored elephant aardvark thing. It looks like the elephant from the Island of Misfit Toys, like the polka dot elephant, but like a little more like an aardvark. 
It's just so cute, and it has no nothing to do to help. Gary Oldman is looking at this thing and pointing. He's choking and pointing at his right. back, like, do something. And this little thing just looks at him, and its little trunk is wiggling and waggling. And then later, you have a scene where Gary Oldman's just cuddling it, and it fills my heart. I want. I wish – I when the movie came out, I wanted there to be stuffed animals of this thing oh. so I could have one because yeah. it was like – I think it's so silly looking, and I adore it. It's just the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> I was shocked. So there's uh, this mugger early on who uh-huh. is really going for it acting-wise, who tries to stick up Bruce Willis. He's got right. a hat right. that is a picture of the hallway. So if you look through the your peephole, it looks like an empty hall. Yep. And then as soon as you open the door, he pokes his head up, and he's like, ha-ha, I have a gun. And he's, like, giving you – it seems very much of a uh, – someone that is, like, I need, has not had their drugs yes, in a I while. Need a They're detoxing now. on their drugs or some, tweaking. something. They're tweaking, if you will. So this is this actor, uh, I believe it's pronounced Matthew Kasovitz, who is the love interest in Amelie. He is Nico in Amelie, which is probably what he's best known for now stateside. This, honestly, you telling me this makes me feel um, badly that we that I like talk such crap about him while we were watching it because then I'm able to go this is not someone who's acting in their native language whereas I didn't get that from like his accent was like American but like I I was just like distracted by the intense acting choices it's a lot of intense acting choices and I think he's so charming and Amelie so I was very surprised to be like that's that's so funny but that honestly makes me because that's different than some of these acting choices made by people who are acting in the language they grew up speaking Hmm. I feel like it's different when someone is just doing a strong American accent that I can't clock because I'm so distracted by like what his laughing that's fascinating wow 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 uh, we, of course, have Ian Holm as Cornelius. He's doing great. It's just perfect. And Scenes with him and Chris Tucker. <sighs> just like, who would have thunk? Who would have thunk of Chris Tucker and Ian Holm together, acting together in a film? And it, it works so beautifully. Them just finding this bomb. <laughs> Chris Tucker. My man, my man, my What is this? What is this? What is this? All these numbers. All these numbers. And him just like, it's like, no, 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 no. Because if it was a bomb, all these hotels have these bomb, bomb detecting So an alarm would have gone off, and then an alarm goes off. But <laughs> why arbitrarily at four minutes and thirty five seconds? Who's to say? But yeah, it's only a five minute bomb alarm uh, sniffer outer that they have in the hotel. Apparently, well, everything goes by fives. It's all. It's so silly. Of all this film is just like so many times. It's just like the it's stop he, it, he at stops a five. it at five seconds. Yeah, uh, I just all like they need five more minutes at the end to the president when they're like having sex yeah. in the the little recovery tube, uh, and we got Gary Oldman as Zorg, who apparently played Zorg as a cross between Ross Perot and Bugs Bunny. <laughs> wow see i was getting like jerry lee lewis from the accent which might Mm. just be because i I saw you do million dollar quartet several times so i was just like this like this showmanship plus the accent i was just like getting this kind of like grandstanding jerry lee lewis kind of vibe fascinating ross perot well it does and bugs bunny he is a stinker he He is. is a real stinker Especially, you know, when Ain't he, I a stinker? Yes, he is a stinker in that scene with the Mangalores when they're like, he doesn't tell him about the red button on the side and they blow themselves up with these a guns real he war. gave them. would have asked about I mean, that, the he, red he, button. I, the movie would be no less ridiculous if he was chomping on a carrot the whole time. That's very true. I think he's wonderful. It's a, what is this performance, but I love it. Because again, unlike if Nicolas Cage were to do this and just be making whatever decision strikes him in the moment, 
Gary Oldman feels like he's giving me a cohesive performance. Absolutely. I feel like I know this person. He has vulnerabilities and weak spots. He is consistent. There's a consistency. There is like depth and nuance. And it's not just random, which is I feel like what you sometimes get from Cage is just like this amuses me in this moment. So I'll do it rather than this amuses me within a particular context. Especially I can easily see an actor seeing this costume seeing this film and being like this is dumb i want to do my own thing and i'm just going to do something i'm going to do whatever i can to entertain myself because i'm a lot of this film i'm either by myself or i'm with a couple of alien monster men and like what am i what even is this film so gary oldman took the part without reading the script to repay luke Besson for partly financing oldman's directorial i think directorial debut nil by mouth So as he said in an interview, oh, no, I can't bear it. It was me singing for my supper because Luke had come in and partly financed my film. And he was pointed out as like, you know, the film's kind of like a cult classic now. And he said, I know that's the wacky world we live in. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he is not a fan of this film. And he is very surprised that other people are. uh, But which I, you know, you do what you can. You you, you know, that that helped you get your teeny tiny like drama with, I think, Ray Winstone made. So you know why you did it, you know. You're doing it for the money. But uh, it's definitely he's not phoning it in. No. And I feel like Gary Oldman has done just as weird of performances in films that just are more like a drama, you know? Sure. I mean, this is the time, though. He was like, this is what he did in the 90s. Right. He's That's the what villain I'm saying. In, in yeah. Air Force One, he's the villain in Lost in Space, where he becomes a big old robot spider monster man. And that is much worse of a film than Fifth Element and a performance than of Zorg, Zorg. Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. I'm Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, y'all. <laughs> So final thoughts on The Fifth Element, Amy Jo. Any other characters that we didn't get touch on or any other moments in the film that uh, popped out at you? I've just written here, is Zorg Tony Stark? Felt like the same scene where he's like, let me show you my missiles. And this is how the missiles go. He's like, let me show you my... my... It was like a cross between Edna Mode and Tony Stark where he's like, let me demo these guns. I dig that. Yeah. I'm glad I finally saw this movie. I thought it was ridiculous. Um, really, once once Chris Tucker entered, I was like, I will watch this for hours. <laughs> I mean, once Gary Oldman entered, I was like, yes, I'm on board. Um, but then the addition of Chris Tucker, I was like, I'm here. I'm yeah. here. I'm glued to the screen. Um, and just waiting for the next costume to to come across the you said across it. that screen. Oh my gosh! What his his first wig that he wears, which is like the this the blonde blonde with, with this like toilet I, paper roll. I was stuck describing to the top. it as like a cup holder, mm. which I think also works. You just pop a coffee cup in there. It looked like a, you could play horseshoes with it. Like you could like throw little try, throw little rings to yes. try to like land them. Yes, land it's them like on. a victory roll, but like uh, what what were what was that cartoon? I think I was a little old for it, but they're like the snorgs or something. They're like seahorses at the bottom of the sea. Yes. Snor- uh, snorgs? That does sound like a something thing. Something like that. This just reminds me of that. Just a, just like, huh, you kind of took this from the 40s and a cartoon <laughs> and made it into whatever this is. And I liked it. I love every moment of it. So the flying traffic was created by the visual effects team at Digital Domain. And they allow the artists to create personalized license plates for all these flying cars. So, though never visible in the movie, the state slogan printed on all the license plates reads, New York, the f*** you state. Oh. 
That's beautiful. Amy Jo? Yes? What are you recommending this week? Well, I'm going to recommend a, a bit of a, a pod that's been around for a while, but that I love. It is Keep It, which is uh, under the Crooked Media umbrella. So any of our listeners who are Crooked Media fans will already know this one. The Crooked Media is the Pod Save America guys. Um, but this is their culture podcast. So it's hosted by Iron Madison III. It's a bunch of gay people talking about the week and culture. And I just love it. Um, it's really fun. They always have good guests. It's great because I, I honestly don't pay attention to a lot of like the down to the minute pop culture nonsense. So sometimes I'll see something on the internet and I'm like, I do not have the, uh, the bandwidth to research that, but they'll talk about it on Keep It in addition to then just like making me laugh, which we all need. Jeff? Amy Joe, What you recommending? Uh, I want to recommend... Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself. It is a filmed at version of uh, his stage show, which ran a few years ago off Broadway. Uh, it just popped up on Hulu. It's it's really the thing where I the less you know about it going in, the better. I'll just say he is a storyteller and conceptual magician who attempts to understand the illusory nature of identity and answer the deceptively simple question, who am I? And I, it's really just, it's, so good. it's an incredible performance from him. And it's just an incredible show. Like, it's really unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, it Don't go in expecting like a quote unquote magic show. There are some incredible illusions in it, but it's so much it's less more about than that. that. It's, yeah. just, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible show. I, I can't recommend it enough. Check it out on Hulu. It is in and of itself. And that's what we're recommending this week. So thank you again to Robin Robin! for requesting The Fifth Element. And a reminder, if you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of, email us at andalmoststarring at gmail.com and let us know. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at andalmoststarring. And until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And thanks for joining us to see who almost starred.